0: Well, we are working through this series in the book of Nehemiah following the challenges faced by the Jews as they were tasked with the rebuilding of Jerusalem after their return from exile in Babylon around 400 years or so before the birth of Christ. And of course, part of the resonance for us is our own sense of rebuilding our lives Uh, our church, our place in the world, following what you might call the exile uh, of the pandemic. And Nehemiah is also very much about the interplay between, if you like, the material uh, and the spiritual. As I believe Madonna once sang, uh, we are living in a material world. Uh, I mean, obviously, I had to look up that reference, but there was some kind of, there was, you know. um, But we also live in a spiritual one. And today at Pentecost, which is really that defining moment when the Spirit came and filled those early disciples with the unique energy sent from God himself, the the Holy Spirit fired up those early believers for mission uh, and empowered them for all that laid ahead. And so tonight as we read about the opposition to Nehemiah's rebuilding of the wall, And I want you to think about, as it were, the walls that you yourself are being called to build, the walls that you are building. What are the tasks before you? What are you devoting your energy to? Indeed, you know, if perish the thought, your mind were to wander at any point during this talk, what would be the things kind of crowding into your consciousness? Because that might even give you a clue as to some of the things that you are seeking to build or worrying about building. And really, I have one crucial question for you this Pentecost evening. Are you seeking to build in your own strength? Or what is the role for the Holy Spirit in this? For the presence of God to be inspiring you, filling you, equipping you, and empowering you. Because I want to suggest that if any of us want to build anything of real value, we have to involve God. And yet, arguably, in this city in particular, there is such a temptation towards self-reliance. Well, I want to begin by taking you back to uh, last week when Tyler Maria quoted uh, from Isaiah 28 uh, towards the end of the service. There, Isaiah is anticipating the birth of Christ and identifying Jesus as that precious cornerstone, the crucial building block for, if you like, the temple of our lives. And that passage from Isaiah, of course, resonates with our theme of rebuilding, and it's also quoted by Peter in uh, his first letter to the early church. So 1 Peter 2 verses 4 to 6 says this, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to quote from uh, Isaiah 28. Well, I don't know what you think about the idea of being built into a spiritual house, but this is the claim that every Christian is part uh, of this community. It can't work just with a single brick we are all part uh, of this greater structure, but we need to look to the living stone, to Christ himself for inspiration. And in relation to the challenge posed by Nehemiah, we might well ask, well, what kind of walls are you seeking to build or rebuild? Well, looking at our passage this evening, Nehemiah is facing accusations, and they're the kind of accusations that actually anyone who seeks to live a recognizably godly life will face. Sanballat was clearly Nehemiah's chief political opponent, and you might notice that he poses five questions uh, in verse 2. What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? And can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burnt as they are? There are five questions, and they are all about being undermined. So first, what are those feeble Jews doing? Their very identity is undermined. Will they restore their wall? Their purpose is being undermined. Will they offer sacrifices, their faith being undermined? Will they finish in a day, their timing? Will they turn these stones back to life, their ability to do the task before them? So identity, purpose, faith, timing, and ability, all being called into question. Perhaps you can relate to that in some way. If you've ever felt undermined, or as Nehemiah puts it, despised or insulted, what do you do? What do you do? Well, Nehemiah appeals to God, and he's confident that God hears him. But then, interestingly, he, he gets on with the job they rebuild the wall to half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Well, this prompts yet more anger from their opponents and a new plot against them. Uh, And then we get to verse nine. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Well, I mentioned earlier that this is a book which very much focuses on the interplay between the material, the practical, Uh, on the one hand, and the spiritual on the other. And I love the way in which this final verse 9 kind of encapsulates that combination. They prayed, and they posted a guard. They prayed, and they acted. And isn't that the life that we are called to? We pray, and we also wear a mask in church. We pray, and we receive the vaccine they prayed, and they posted a guard. And tonight, I really want to invite you to think afresh about this combination in your own life, wherever it is that you know that you have a particular sense of calling, whether that's actually quite an ordinary everyday, day-by-day sense of calling, or something much more seemingly ambitious that is calling you into a future that's yet uncertain. Are you willing both to pray and to act, to pray uh, as it were, and also to post the guard. And perhaps you might want to reflect on how this is currently playing out in your own life. Perhaps you have particular family or caring responsibilities, and actually you're really good at kind of doing the stuff, but frankly you've stopped praying to God, seeking His guidance and His inspiration for that situation. Or, you know, frankly, I look out at you amazing people and I know that there are quite a few spiritual superpowers in the house, so perhaps your temptation is that you're so busy praying and claiming and interceding that you've forgotten to join the dots and work out also how you were called to act after the hungry meeting or after the arise gathering. Both of these are the challenges that different ones uh, of us will face. But whatever walls we are called to build or rebuild, it's this combination of our relationship with God, our life of prayer, but also the practical decisions we make, getting our hands stuck in, picking up the bricks, and working out how to apply the mortar. And on Pentecost Sunday, surely we have to ask this question particularly in relation to, Are we doing all of this in our own strength? Because even our prayers can end up sounding like, well, here's the idea, God, that I've already had, and I'm kind of just inviting you to bless it, rather than, God, here is my life. (laughs) What do you want to do with it? Have we actually decided to build the wall already, and we're just asking for God's stamp of approval? God, please... Bless this thing I've already decided to do. Well, I want to tell you a little bit tonight about how uh, I have done this in my own life, and particularly in my life uh, as a journalist before ordination. Uh, Throughout my sort of teenage years, I'd felt a very strong sense of call to be a Christian journalist, although over the years there have been plenty of people who've written to me and said that the Christian journalist is itself a contradiction in terms. But uh, I'm prepared to make the case for the fact that uh, if you believe that the truth shall set you free, then even the most uncomfortable truths, ultimately there is a value uh, in light being shone uh, in darkened places. Uh, And I have to say, through my 20s, you know, God really blessed my career and opened some pretty uh, extraordinary doors. Also, early on in my 20s, I joined a church with a similar kind of spiritual DNA, if you like, to here at St. Aldate's, having previously always uh, been part of much more traditional churches. So, uh, thinking about Pentecost, Uh, and the Holy Spirit, I might have said at that point that I knew about the Holy Spirit, and if I ever felt the Holy Spirit, perhaps it was you know just about a tingle down my spine at the end of a rousing hymn or a song I particularly liked. But beyond that, I really wouldn't have any particular language to talk about any sense of experience. And when I read about the kinds of things that the Holy Spirit seemed to do in the book of Acts, it seemed, quite literally like a kind of a foreign country, another kind of place. Well, this was a church where I was blessed in many ways, not least I met Carolyn, uh, my wife, playing the oboe in the worship band. She was playing the oboe in the worship band. I was thinking, why are they playing these boring songs? But this was one of the, the ways in which I was yet to, to grow. Um, I liked to think that I was uh, open-minded, if a little skeptical, she would have probably said I was closed-minded and cynical, Um, but yet uh, I was there and really my philosophy was, um, I will stay at this church, I don't want to be a disruptive influence, believe it or not, Um, but I, I, I don't want to, as it were, be building walls which prevent me actually meeting God if, these Christians who frankly seem rather different to the Christians I've known all my life are really meeting the living God. I don't want to miss out, but equally there is a lot here that, you know, isn't kind of Christianity uh, as I knew it. And meanwhile, I was busily building my career, I think if I'm honest, largely uh, in my own strength. I also think that I was building a more subtle wall, which was a wall of spiritual self-reliance. I felt as though I kind of knew what I was doing. I would turn up to church, I would be reading my Bible and praying my prayers. But actually, if I was honest, I wasn't really ready to let God surprise me or overwhelm me or do any of the kinds of things that seem to happen with alarming regularity in the book of Acts. Well, fast forward to an evening at our church when uh, Sandy Miller, who was then the vicar of another London church, Holy Trinity Brompton, came to our church to teach, particularly about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he spoke from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and then he said, well, we'll have a time of ministry. And he began to offer some words of knowledge, which is when People believe that, inspired by God, they are offering a particular piece of spiritual insight that they wouldn't really have received any other way. God giving supernatural insight into particular situations, often to draw people close, to make people realize, my goodness, this God is real, and he knows me and he cares about me. But not just to do that, but to kind of fire them up and then send them out uh, on mission. Well, uh, you may or may not be surprised to hear, I was pretty skeptical about words of knowledge. Uh, I didn't have much time for them. I thought they always seemed to be about left knees. And, you know, if you, if you gather 50 people in a room, there's bound to be someone with a dodgy left knee. And I just wasn't particularly uh, convinced or impressed. And it never seemed to be about some of the things that friends of mine really struggled with, like mental ill health or chronic illness. So you know, I just wasn't terribly impressed. Um, Anyway, Sandy offered various words, some of them which, you know, could have been for one's latest skiing injury. Um, But then he said, uh, and I've just got a final word, and um, it's it's not really one that I would uh, expect to be giving, and it certainly doesn't sound very British to do so. But, he said, I believe that there's someone here with a problem with their bowels. Yes, you heard me right, bowels. Now, as you can hear from the nervous giggling, there are many of us who would not ordinarily expect to talk about one's bowels in church. But that was the word, and my heart was, you know, starting to beat. Meanwhile, in the church, people had been standing up and responding to these words of knowledge, you know, left elbow, right knee, you know, as they came and coming forward for prayer. He said the word bowels, like, you know, tumbleweed, not a not a person moving. Except my heart was, you know, pounding away because I had just been diagnosed as a celiac and if you know anything about celiac disease, like it or not, it is a problem with your bowels. And at this moment, I felt I really faced a moment of great decision, because I'd built these walls which were so high that I frankly hoped that these rather sort of emotive eruptions of the Holy Spirit wouldn't impact me. And yet I also knew that if I didn't respond in this moment, it would look as though Sandy hadn't actually heard from God about bowels, whereas I was convinced actually that he had, and so I very reluctantly moved forward. Well, of course, the story gets considerably worse because then I saw the two people who were being sent over to pray for me. Oh, God, I thought. So uh, let me introduce you to one was a student who looked about 13, and in my terrible arrogance, uh, I hope I have become a better person in the intervening years. You can be the judge of that. But uh, I thought, well, you know, what's he going to be able to pray for me? I mean, you know... um, Actually, he just had one word. He didn't know that I was beginning to uh, explore a sense of call to ordination at that point. Um, But he had a picture uh, of a mantle being placed on my shoulder. Well, you know, if you're looking for pictures of spiritual authority in the Bible, a mantle being placed on your shoulder uh, is a pretty good one. So I I took that and, you know, apologised inwardly for my my dismissal of him. But the other person, shall we call him uh, Len? You may remember uh, we used to do things like have coffee after services at church, uh, and you know sometimes there would be that phenomenon of the person who talks so much, you, you, know, you just kind of hope you won't get stuck with them. I'm sure none of you have ever had this experience. Um, anyway, Len uh, was the person who would use 20 words when two would do, and I just knew that this was going to be a really long prayer session, and I thought I could do without this. Anyway, afterwards, Len said to me, it was the first time in 40 years of praying for someone, that he really felt God say to him, Pray silently. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So Len just places a hand uh, on my shoulder, and then I get this one involuntary quiver in my left leg, and one tear rolls down my cheek and I have this extraordinary sense of the proximity of God as a mystery way beyond anything I'd ever encountered before. Funnily enough, the very first thing I thought was I go around the world reporting about religious people, including Christians, and I've always thought the Christians who fell over in church under the Holy Spirit were faking it and I need to repent because if God can do that to my left leg, perhaps actually there are people who literally fall uh, under the Spirit. But that was the beginning uh, of a process whereby Over the coming weeks and months, uh, I met God not just in that very beautiful, gentle way of that first evening, which I think was the grace of God, because uh, anything else perhaps I would have found just excruciatingly uh, embarrassing, or I'd have run sort of screaming from the room. But in his grace, he met me in a way that I knew that it had to be God. And then uh, a few weeks later, much more kind of overwhelming sense of emotion and intriguingly another of the walls i had been building was was kind of oh i can solve other people's problems and there were three particularly complex friendships that uh, carolyn and i were involved with and a, a time of prayer where i literally saw a picture of the cross and god inviting me to hand each of these people to him and basically say you know if you're interested in growing in pastoral ministry You've got to recognize that this is something to be done in my strength, not in your own strength. And as some of you know, uh, a few months after that, my final trip away for the BBC, uh, reporting on the growth of Christianity in China, and it was a very strange and difficult trip because we were basically followed by the the police pretty much the whole time, all plainclothes people, and, you know, just lots of difficult things happened. as we were trying to tell this remarkable story about God's work in China. Uh, And at the end of a particularly long and difficult day, just on my own, in my hotel room, like a good, soon-to-be Anglican ordinand, I can see a little bit of a crew from Wycliffe here, this evening, you know, I got up, Church of England, evening prayer, uh, on my laptop and started praying it aloud, you know, as straight-laced an Anglican thing as you could possibly do. Uh, and then I got to the intercessions and I just felt somehow I should kneel. And I was just in my hotel room. I didn't have anything to prove to anyone. It wasn't like, you know, being at the front of church on a Sunday evening. Look at me. I'm having a particular moment with the Lord as I kneel here. You know, there was none of that kind of challenge. Um, I was on my own in my hotel room, but I felt called to, to kneel. Um, and I began to pray in this mysterious language that we call praying in tongues. And actually, for me, even more significant, I I began to sing uh, in tongues after many years of substantial vocal problems. And again, just this sense of a new depth of connection with the living God, heart to heart. And the sheer irony of this, I'd signed on the dotted line, this was my last trip for the BBC, I was going to go off to vicar training school. What more do you want, Lord? But what was he saying to me? He was saying, well, I just want to bless you. I love you this much. And this extraordinary picture of people with proximity to me that you read about in scripture is the same relationship that I call people into today. And of course, he didn't just say that to me in a hotel room in China. He says exactly the same thing to you tonight whether you feel you're a kind of gold star Christian who already knows quite a lot about this stuff, or whether you're wandering into church virtually for the first time, these promises of the Holy Spirit, not just kind of gentle wafting of niceness in your general direction, but a piercing of your heart, and a firing up of you for your unique sense of calling and vocation, to be sent out to bless the world and draw more people towards him. And I want to tell you these stories this evening just because I cannot emphasize enough the kind of difference that those experiences have made in my Christian life. I sometimes say it's like moving from watching a kind of regular old color TV to kind of ultra 4K or whatever the latest thing you can see in John Lewis is. You are seeing the same world, but you are seeing it in such an amazingly newly defined way. When we enter this life, it doesn't mean that we no longer have practical walls that we are called to build. We still have jobs to do or children to raise or degrees to complete or whatever it is, but we can do them with God, and in the power of His Spirit. I was a pretty faithful Christian before I met the Holy Spirit, but my relationship with God was completely transformed. My sense of excitement in relation to the Bible was utterly transformed, and I'd spent years studying theology already by then. My ability to resist sin, still imperfect, was definitely transformed. But most of all, I, I began to understand that this notion of the living water that bubbles up within by the grace of God and then overflows and is just this deeply attractive picture of abundance in the Christian life, that began to make sense. And I could begin to imagine telling people this kind of good news. And I just so believed that this is the kind of picture that God wants for his church, person by person and community by community. This is the good news, the fullness of the good news that we're called to invite people into, knowing Jesus as Lord and knowing this fullness of life in the Holy Spirit. Several months before Sandy Miller had come to our London church, uh, I'd heard him and his wife speak at a day conference, and uh, Annette had made a throwaway comment within uh, a plenary session that really stuck with me. She said, I always tell Sandy before he goes to preach, make sure they realize the difference between being filled with the Spirit and not being filled with the Spirit. Well, when I first heard that, I actually reacted simply with anger. I was like, how does she know who's filled with the Spirit and who isn't? No, 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 But I realized that it was an anger rooted in my own ignorance. Because basically, I was living life like the disciples that Paul comes across in Acts chapter 19, who are disciples of Jesus, but they haven't heard of the Holy Spirit and I went searching, and I found him, and it's utterly glorious. And if you have any doubt as to whether you have been filled with the Holy Spirit, whether you know this depth of the Christian life, I would really encourage you to ask. We all have walls to build, So don't build walls that separate you from God. And certainly don't build walls in your own strength. But what would it be as you build these walls in your life, whatever it is you're called to do, to invite the Holy Spirit to fill you and inspire you and refresh you, at times to convict you, and most of all to empower you.